Welcome to our Through the Bible study here on Bible In-Depth Network with Alex. In our study, we look at the context of Scripture and how it applies to our daily lives. We also believe that there's no limitation to the revelation of the Word God. Let's study together today. Yes, praise be to God. I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it. Thank you for joining us for our time of the study of the Word of God. Here we study the Bible and we aim to study from the book of Genesis to Revelation. By the grace of God, God has helped us study the entire Old Testament. And right now we are handling the New Testament with the book of Matthew. Today I want us to continue where we ended off Matthew chapter 20. And uh, we want to continue with verse 20. Yeah, because we stopped with verse 17. That's where we will start from today. And it starts by telling us, as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, of course we know that uh, whatever was happening in Jerusalem was serious business. Uh, He knew what he was going up to do or to go through in Jerusalem. He knew what he was going to experience in Jerusalem, and it was not easy. You know, knowledge of what we are going to go through should not stop us from going to that step of life. Jesus could have known that in Jerusalem is trouble, so I don't step there, but he has to go through it because whatever has been set out for us to do, we have to do it. We have to go through it. You do not hide, you do not run. He knew that where he is going is probably marking the end of his time here on earth. He still knew that if it is the will of the Father, then I have got to go and go through it. And when it is the will of God for something that we are supposed to do, or something we are supposed to go through, we go through it. We do not uh, faint. We do not get scared. We go through it. And now Jesus, it's time to go to Jerusalem. And he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, he knows these are the people I've been moving with. There used to be many. We are told of the 70 disciples that he used to walk with. Now, there are those who are close, closer. Because there's always that inner circle. There's always those who are closer than the rest. And here, Jesus takes them aside. And he needs to tell them some hard things, some things that they may not uh, receive easily. And he says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Of course, by being told you are going to Jerusalem, that is where the temple is. That is the place where you have all the people who do not like Jesus. That is where the people who hate him dwell, because these are temple officials. These are delegates of the temple. These are people who lead as far as temple work is concerned. And that is where he's headed. Knowing that people may not like what, like or receive the message you're taking does not stop you from taking it there. Although they do not like Jesus, it will not stop him from going to Jerusalem. And for us, as we minister, even in this day and age, there are places you know that people don't want to hear about Christ. People don't want to be, they are not interested. They will beat you up probably. They may 
speak bad words to you because of Jesus, because of uh, speaking about Jesus. But that does not stop you in any one way from preaching the word. You still get out there and preach the word. And there are very many ways that we can preach the word of God. There are very many ways that you can speak. Even if you feel you can't talk or you're shy, there is a way that you can get out and preach and impact somebody's life and be of benefit to the kingdom of God and spreading his word. So it may be tough. It may be even at your place of work. That's where you've got to preach, and it's tough. And people, they are always abusing uh, those who accepted Jesus. They're always mocking them. And we've experienced this, I believe, many of us, that in the place where you work, people do not take Christ serious. Or probably, they're always in abuse or mockery of the gospel. Still, you're expected in that tough place to go and preach. You're expected to take the word of God still in that tough place. Because Jesus here is heading to a place that is hated. He's heading to a place where the Pharisees dwell, where the chief priests dwell, where the scribes dwell. And he even tells the disciples what these people are going to do when he gets there. He says, they will condemn me to death. He knows that where he's headed, these people are going to condemn him to death. He knows where I'm going, I do not come back. Where I'm headed, I'm going to perish because the people that I'm going to speak to are real intentional on making sure that my life is finished. For the things of God, we do not look at our own selves. For the things of God, it is not about our comfort. For the things of God, they might involve death. For the things of God, they might involve mockery. They might involve shame, being ashamed because of the gospel. That happens. But we also know that though we are ashamed here on earth, there is a greater benefit up in heaven for us. There is eternal life. And we should know that we are not ashamed of Christ because those who are ashamed of him here, he tells us in his word, he will also be ashamed of before his father in heaven. And now, we do not fear. It doesn't matter whether it is going to be tough. If he says go, you go. If that's the direction for life, we take it. If it is going to mean that there are some uh, benefits that will be taken off you because you're a Christian, you do not go and change your lifestyle so that you please them and they feel like you're part of them, you're part of the world. No, you stick to the things of God, even if it means death. Jesus here knows where he's headed to Jerusalem. He's not going on a picnic. No. He's not going to have fun. He's going to be killed. And he says, and will hand him over, that is going to be handed over to the Gentiles, to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. This is the beauty of all this. He knows after I've gone through all that, after I've been beaten, after I've been mocked, after I have been crucified, I'll be raised up. Jesus is telling his disciples something that they have never heard of. He's telling them, I am going to be raised up. He's saying, after all that you're going to see that I go through, I am going to be raised up. He's giving them a promise. And that promise is one of life. That promise is one that promises life. After everything bad, as you may tag it, has happened, Jesus still lets you know 
that there is life after that. And that is the beauty. When it comes to the things of God, it does not it may seem like it's over, but there's a promise of life after that. There's a promise of life after that experience. There's a promise of life after that bad thing that you've gone through. There's a promise of life, and do not be afraid. There is a promise of life to you after everything that you've gone through, after the torture you've gone through, after the turmoil you've gone through, after the bad experience that you've gone through. There is a promise of life. And I want to let you know today that it is not about the things we see here with our physical eye and how bad they might look and how afraid you might be about them. No. You need to look to Christ and trust him because he's the one who has created us. He's the one who has set us aside and he knows about us. He's concerned about us and he promises life for us. Just like he tells his disciples here that I'm going to suffer, but when I return, it is going to be joy. Verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons bowing down and making requests to him. It never ends with mothers, you know. It still uh, comes down to the fact that they have to be in your life. These are old men, and their mother is coming to Jesus, and what he's bringing on the table is interesting. It's quite interesting, as we are going to read. But he comes with his sons. We're not told about the father or where he was, but it is the mother who comes, just like they always do. They always come out, and... He makes a request to Jesus. And he said to her, What do you wish? Oh, he, I mean, this lady is bowing down. She has come with her two children. And uh, she's bowing down before me. There surely has to be an issue that she wants to raise to me. And she has come with these two sons. These, remember, is James and John. Those are the sons. James and John and their mother are right there. Of course, when the mother bows, I believe the, the rest also bow, the two children, James and John. And Jesus says, what do you wish? She said to him, this is a request the mother has, very interesting request. Command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. She's extreme in what she wants. She's extreme in the things she's asking for. She's telling Jesus, making, I want clear. for the best for children. I want Everybody my two sons look to sit one on the right, one on the left. She's making a bargain for James and John. That when it comes to the kingdom of God, these two should be closest to Christ. I don't know if she thought they've worked more. I don't know if she thought they've done the best. They've been the ones who are closer to Jesus, so they should take the place. But whatever plea she's making, she makes us the mother of these children. And as we know, parents, you always want the best for your children. And that's what she comes out to do. And she says, I want one on the right and one on the left of you. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Yeah? She's telling this lady, you do not know what you're asking. You do not know what you're asking from me. And are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we are able. Now, when they said to him, we are able, I believe this is James and John who are answering Christ before their mother. Yeah, 
She must have been knocking on them. Say, you, you, you need to respond that you're able to do this. We are bargaining for one of the biggest, if not the biggest places that anyone can ever occupy, the right and left of Jesus. So respond. And the answer, we are able. Jesus is asking them, are you, do you know what you're asking for? Because the cup that I'm going to drink is not an easy one. The cup that he's going to take from is not an easy one. It's one that involves torture. He has already told them. It is one that involves mockery. It's one that will involve crucifixion, death. And now they tell him they are able to bear that. Because if you want to sit next to him, then you've got to bear the burden that he bore. If you want to sit next to him, then you've got to drink from the same cup. And that is one thing that us Christians need to understand. When he says, carry your cross and follow me, that means that there's going to be some tough time. There's going to be some tough time in your Christianity. But you've got, if you want to be next to him, if you want to enjoy that of the kingdom, then there's got to be a price that you've got to pay. There's got to be an experience that you're going to go through. And this is one that is letting them know of right now. And they tell him, yes, we are able. We shall bear it. And he say to them, my cup you shall drink. That is for a fact. He will suffer. You go through tough times. It has been promised to us by the master himself as he talks to these that in Christianity, in your walk of salvation, there shall be tough times. There shall be tough moments. But he tells us and has promised us here in his word that we shall drink from that cup, just like he did. But he says to sit on my right hand and my, on my left. This is not mine to give. Jesus, with all authority he had here on earth, still gives the Father respect and the honor that he is due. He says, that is not my position to give. He does not even say, I'll go and talk to, to the Father and discuss with him about your request. He does not. No, he knows that it is clear line. This is the Father. It is his position to do that, to give. But it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. He says, it's not mine to give. So, when they make this request, Jesus re responds clearly and lets them know it's not his to give. And hearing this, remember, they are not doing this in secret. They were doing this while the other disciples are also listening. And hearing this, the ten disciples became indignant with the two brothers. They, they got angry like, okay, how can these two guys ask for such? For, do they want to imply that for us we've not been doing any good job? Do they want to imply that they are the best that there are, so they are the ones who are supposed to sit next to Christ? Do they want to imply that for us, we are of a lesser status? But Jesus called them to himself and said, come, come guys. Yeah? You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. This is no, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great, among you shall be your servant. He's telling them, it's not about taking positions. And you know, sometimes we put so much uh, consideration on positions. What position am I holding? Am I, what am I being called? Yeah, so that everybody should fear me. But when it comes to the things of Christ, it's not about the position that you're seeking to hold. It's about serving. And he's telling them, no, it's not about coming and requesting and you take it. 
Because it's still not mine to give. But what you need to know is you have to serve. If you want to be great, you've got to serve the rest. He's telling them, if you want to be the greatest among all you here, serve the rest. And that is what we have to do. The greatness we are seeking in the kingdom of God is not about having the, the one, being the one who will stand on the pulpit at this hour and being the one who everybody shall hail. It's about you serving. Sometimes service, the service we're talking about, is in the dark where nobody's seeing, where nobody's witnessing you, but you're serving Christ. It says you serve if you want to be great. And whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's giving them a clear example and telling them, you've seen me here. I came here and I've served you. And it's not ending here because where we are headed to Jerusalem, I am going to give my life as a ransom for many. How many people can we give our lives to and say, I'm going to do this. It is inconveniencing, but I'm going to do it. And I'm doing it because it is a benefit for the kingdom for these people that I'm serving. That's what Jesus is doing. Of course, none of us can ever die like Jesus died for the sins of the world. But it is very clear that there is a service that we can do, and that service involves the people of God. It involves care for those, even when nobody is seeing. So, how does all this drama end with uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, John and James? It ends by Jesus telling them, it's not mine to give. But what I want to tell you, if you want to be great, serve me. And it's the same message to us here. It's not about what the positions we want. It's about us to go out there and serve the Lord and do as he wishes that we do. Serve his people. Then when you do that, we are great in his kingdom. As we conclude, verse 29. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. They must have heard about Jesus. They must have heard about stories of him and the great things he's done for people and the miracles that he's performed. And they were waiting for that one moment. And maybe they had a crowd or they just heard Jesus is coming. And they said, this is our moment. And this is, Lord, have mercy on us. When you know that Christ is coming, and for us, it's even a lot easier. He's with us. He's with us today. We just need to cry out and say, Lord, have mercy on us and help us because we are in need. Some of us are looking for money for school fees. Some of us are looking for money for tuition. Others are looking for ideas. Others are looking, for searching for wisdom. Others are searching for good health, healing. Just cry, Lord, have mercy on me because he's hearing. And even if everybody is trying to tell you to be quiet, you just keep on and cry and cry and ask him to come because he's hearing. He is hearing. And Jesus stopped them and, and called them and said, what do you want me to do? When you cry, it doesn't matter if people are saying, stop it. It's a shaming you. As long as you keep doing it, Jesus at one point says, okay, come. What do you want me to do for you? And they say to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Now, this, this is key. When you're asked what you want, you, you better know what you are going to say. They are not going to ask for money for food. They know the biggest thing we seek right now is to see. We want our eyes opened. We've been a band of two, which 
are not considered important in this society and all we've been seeking for over time is that we can have our eyes open so we can see. And if that, if we get it, it's enough. When Jesus asks, they don't deliberately. They don't go around thinking, what should we ask for? They just tell him, we want our eyes open. And guess what Jesus says? Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. When you know what you want, you get it. Because sometimes Jesus is asking us, what do you want? And we do not know, we are not sure whether we want a, we are looking for a husband or we are looking for a wife or we are looking for a job or we want, there is something specific that Jesus wants to do in your life and you've got to know it. Because the request is out there. What do you want? We do not know whether it's in his will or not. These men had many needs, I know. But they knew what is most important. If we can be able to see, the rest shall come. So when he touches their eyes and they begin to see, they say, now if we've received sight, now what we need to do is to follow him. Because when we follow him, everything else is going to fall in place. When you follow Christ, everything comes in place. There are some people that God picked you out. You lived a life that was not pleasing. And he says, what do you want? And he said, I need help. And he gave you that help. And the next decision you had to make is to follow him. But probably you didn't. But when you miss out on following Christ, because that's a day-to-day activity, when you miss that out, you've missed out the rest of your life. So you start to follow him. You start to do according to his will. You start to walk with him. And all these things shall be added unto you. For see, keep fast the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. The money shall come. The peace shall come. The wealth shall come. The health shall come if you follow Christ. He has called you and has given you life. He served you. The decision you've got to take is to follow him. And follow him diligently. When you follow him, all things fall in place. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we pray that you help us be the children that honor you and serve you. In Jesus' my name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our study today. We believe that the world of God is alive and new each day. Open your heart and let God speak to you. You can also access our teachings through our Podbean channel or reach us through our website, bibleindepth.com.